Welcome to Press Room on Radio Tab. With thanks to Garrard's Horse and Hound. Good morning, everyone. This is Press Room for Monday, the 10th of October. Thanks for your company. Plenty to talk about. Of course, big weekend coming up. This is one of the big ones. Caulfield Cup Day, Tab Everest Day. So we're just discussing everything about those two big meetings. We had the awards night, the Racing Queensland a Thoroughbred Awards Nights last night. Ben Dorries will tap in on that and we'll chat later with Ben Scannon and Colin McNiff. Chris Barsby will join us. A wonderful night of harness racing at Melton on Saturday night and a great result for Queensland with Leap for Fame winning the, the Victoria Derby. Bart Sinclair joins me as well to talk about last night Awards Night, particularly with the, the Hall of Fame inductees. So, as I said, plenty to get through, but always interested in what you think. You can tweet us at Radio Tab AUS or you can text us at 0499 putter. That's 0499 786837. 0499 786837. The podcast is out each week. We tweet it out on the Radio Tab Oz link. Or you can go to Wooshka.com or Spotify and search under Radio Tab. And of course, as you know, Press Room each and every Monday is brought to you with the compliments of Garrard's Horse and Hound. They've been with us since day one. Well, the Richard Callender Gilbert Gardner Tater Tate on Racenet during the week created a lot of discussion. Callender in his weekly column argued the Everest creates more conversation than the Melbourne Cup, thus implying it was challenging the Cup's supremacy. Gardner's the Herald Sun's racing writer, but he's got a platform on Racenet as well. He blasted Callender in no uncertain manner, saying comparisons were nonsensical and contrived. Now, after 40 years in the business, I hope the whack in return whack wasn't manufactured, but Let's work on it being fair dinkum. Gardner's, of course, right. There's absolutely no need for a comparison. And if you, if you want to go down that path, it achieves nothing. But Calendar is also not wrong. Now, if you're confused, let me explain. Calendar is correct in saying the Everest generates more pre-race publicity than the Cup. It's a good creation, great creation, aspiring to catch that 18 to 35-year-old demographic. And the makeup of the race ensures... We've been talking about it for a long time before they jump from the barriers this Saturday. But that's where it ends. And to compare the two is just an opinion, and frankly an opinion not really based on a lot of fact. But both riders, probably unbeknownst, have produced a fertile middle ground. Australian racing is indeed fortunate to have a great mixture of A-plus races. The Melbourne Cup's stature and presence will never be challenged. I know some in their own minds think that is happening, but it isn't. It embraces the nation rather than the niche market. It has a special spot in Australian history, and that hasn't been achieved overnight. The Everest has only been going for five years, if you hadn't forgotten. But innovation and creation in any business are important, and the Everest is a shining example. It's had an immediate impact, and as I said a fortnight ago, it's become a disruptor in a positive way. While all that's happening, this year's Cox Plate is shaping as one for the ages for racing's purists. On balance, I think there's some work to be done with, in several respects with the Golden Slipper and also the Caulfield Cup. That should be acknowledged and acted upon. But we should admire this diversity in racing's top level and diversity, by the way, being celebrated with huge dollars up for grabs. Australian racing is the envy of many overseas racing jurisdictions. And this morning, I've only skimmed the surface. Now, surely Calendar and Gardner can agree on that. This is Press Room on Radio Tab. Let's speak with Ray Thomas first up, the racing editor of the Daily Telegraph and Sunday Telegraph. How are you, Ray? 
Yeah, good morning, David, and good morning, everyone. Well, uh, it was uh, uh, a day that didn't come as a surprise, I suppose, on Saturday with the cancellation of the last four races on the Silver Eagle Day, including the Silver Eagle. Ray, I know hindsight's a, a wonderful thing, but, but in this case, th there has been a fair deal of conversation. Well, there was a lot of conversation mm. leading into the meeting, you know, would it proceed? We knew that rain was coming on Saturday at some stage during the day, but I think in this case, uh, could the meeting have been scheduled earlier when, when acceptances were taken, knowing that that rain was going to, going to arrive? Yeah, um, David, look, there was discussions on that very point as late as um, uh, 3.30 p.m. on Friday afternoon. And by that, I mean there was talk about possibly running the meeting earlier than the advertised start time, which happens quite often in summer at various um, uh, racetracks when we get those soaring temperatures. But the very latest up-to-date weather information had the bulk of the rain hitting Sydney after 6pm on Saturday evening. And I guess the authorities decided to roll the dice. And when you woke up on Saturday morning and mm. when I was driving into Randwick, it was pretty early, probably half past eight, there was hardly a cloud in the sky. It was almost a surreal morning. We haven't seen the sun for so long. And I thought, well, they've got this right. Um, but by the time the first race was run, just after 12.30, some clouds had rolled in and it became darker. The rain, very light rain, started to fall by about race four and began to increase and get heavier and heavier. And Look, unfortunately, the forecast was wrong. Um, they could have made that call and gone early at, say, 10.30 or 11 o'clock and got through the meeting. And if it hadn't have rained, as that forecast had suggested, late on Friday evening before 6pm, everyone would have said, well, they, they panicked. So it's one of those situations where you can't get it right. Can you, David? Whatever call you make. And unfortunately, that rain did arrive mid-afternoon and um, the track being already waterlogged in a heavy ten. It didn't take a lot to force the, the rest of the mean to be postponed or, or cancelled. We see these uh, change of times to an earlier time slot, more so because of heat um, mm. you know, in the summertime. And I must say, though, when I started to think about it last night, New South Wales or Sydney hasn't really had as much as that as what you see in, say, Victoria, for example, in, in, yeah. in Queensland, even in South Australia. You haven't had many meetings that have been shifted earlier because because of heat. But I think the, the general public and, and the licensees are pretty generous in their in their approach. If if you know if you get it wrong and that yeah. it doesn't happen, they say, well at least you acted you acted in advance. And I suppose the mm. other the other broader point from, from Saturday, I think we discussed this last week and I think since we discussed it, it's it's come up again. It seems to, to be pretty unanimous that maybe next year this meeting will be at Rose Hill and not at Randwick, preventing having Randwick having four Sundays in a yeah. row. Yeah, and I, I think it's almost a no-brainer, particularly with the Spring Champion Stakes, which was originally at that meeting last Saturday. has been reprogrammed for later in the month. There's no Group 1, obviously, programmed now for that second Saturday in October after the Epsom. So the feature race is the Silver Eagle. And as we discussed last week, though, that is essentially a lead-in to the Golden Eagle, which is run at Rose Hill. So... It would make perfect sense for this mean to be switched to Rose Hill from next year and just give that two-week buffer between the Epsom and the Everest. I'm not saying it's a certainty. I'm not even sure it's even been discussed at an official level yet. Mm. It will be on, on certain post the carnival when they have their review. And 
but I think there's a, a real groundswell of support now to have that that buy, so to speak, at Ramwick on the second Saturday of October. Just to end off on Saturday, we got through to race six, but before race six, did the, did the jockeys uh, and the stewards meet to discuss staying away from the rail? I saw some tweet on race yes. in New South Wales. Yeah, um, after race five, when the rain started to become heavier and um, jockeys, uh, deputational jockeys, went into the stewards' room and were concerned about visibility and track safety, and then it was discussed how best to try and get through the rest of the day and there was that agreement to try and steer away from the, the inside rail particularly down the, the back of the course towards the home turn but competitive racing if you can find an inside run you can take advantage of it you're going to take it aren't you and um, whether that would have lasted the rest of the day I don't know but certainly once race six was run the rain was very heavy at that stage visibility was poor and the track was waterlogged um, the decision was was taken out of the stewards' hands. It, it had to be made to to call the rest of the meeting off. Fortunately, the weather is well certainly appears a lot brighter this week as far as the forecast is concerned. Mm. It, it is um, as we speak this morning. Around the top, of course, is still a heavy ten, David. But no rain forecast for most of this week. A, a shower or two possible on Friday, but between three and eight mils. That's all. So. Look, if Randwick can get a couple of nice days, Wednesday should be a, a lovely day in Sydney in mid-20s. You would hope and expect the Randwick course proper will improve back into the soft range. Soft seven, maybe soft six is optimistic, but I, I expect probably a soft seven, David, and mm. any better than that will be a bonus. And um, look, the club deserves a break. Uh, the participants deserve a break and the racing fans deserve a break. Let's hope we do get that fair track next Saturday. And the rail back in the true position. Yeah. yeah <laughs> well, one spot to fill, and they're leaving it as late as possible. We, we spoke with Vin Cox, who's the managing director of Godolphin, yesterday, and he said, he's, I said, you haven't got much time. He said, well, the alarm clock's set for 10 o'clock on Tuesday, so he said, I can wait till then. But uh, it appears, and, and this sort of developed yesterday, that Paul Ailey had to receive some anti-inflammatory after getting a couple of uh, whacks over the, the head accidentally by Damien Oliver, who was riding Zoo style. Now, mm. uh, even allowing for that, I, I, I just feel, we floated this theory yesterday on Past the Post that Paul Ailey is a great winning chance of the Manicato, which is officially a Group 1 race. He might win the Everest, but uh, he would be one of the semi-outsiders and he's probably better on a firmer track. So I, I think they're, they're maybe thinking that Paul Ailey's best chance or best option is the Manicato, so it may well be Kevin Tari. Yeah, I spoke with Vin a little bit earlier before coming on your show, David. Again, um, that meeting with the Godolphin Brains Trust, so to speak, is scheduled for 11am Sydney time. Um, Paul Ailey's eye issue, a little ulcer there, no problem at all. So if they wanted to run him in the Everest on Sunday, they can do so. Um, will they run him? I honestly don't know. David, I can hear what you're saying. He's a stay in a Group 1 Manicato would be appealing. Um, a couple of issues there. The way that Matt, the uh, Mooney Valley track is racing is not favouring a horse like Polilli who gets back in the field and runs on. You need to be on the fence and leading almost at the moment. Whether they can fix that up for a Manicato, you'd hope. Um, would he handle a soft track into a heavy range? If you think of his run in the TJ Smith stakes earlier this year, he was a super third as a three-year-old colt behind Nature Strip and Eduardo hitting the line hard. So... I don't think a track bordering on heavy would be an issue. 
Um, but just that that Manicato stakes is there and a potential Group 1 win for a stallion prospect, I think, might lead them towards Kementari. Whatever happens, Kementari is racing at Randwick next Saturday, whether that be in the, the Everest or in the $2 million Sydney stakes. And if you go on his run in the Premier Stakes, we discussed that um, a couple of weeks ago, Dave. He's been beaten the half length into four spot behind Lost and Running. Um, that's the right form line outside of Nature Strip, isn't it, Eduardo? So um, I think Kementari might get that call up, but I've got no inside information to, to help you with that, unfortunately, David. Well, I know one thing about the market. It just keeps trending Nature Strip, Nature Strip, Nature mm. Strip. Every time I look at the, the, the board, the betting, the betting board, he's now at $1.90 this morning. So he's Extraordinary. gone yeah. from black figures to red. Lost and running has consolidated his spot on the second line at seven. Jack Widow, 11. Eduardo, 13. Mars Crusader, Mars Crusader, 13. And Marzu at the same price, 13. Then Private Eye, 18. Giga Kick, 26, who came in during the week. Then we go to some longer shots, Overpass at 26, and then Joyful Fortune and Shades of Rose, both at $51. Private Eye, of course, replacing Snap Dancer, who was injured. Now, just in terms of the timetable, Barry Draw, what's happening there tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow night, the Barry Draw will be live on um, Sky Fiber Central, Channel 528. Um, about 8 o'clock, the Trek the Everest show will start at 7.30. Um, the barrage will be conducted on a, a harbour cruise and there'll be drones used in in the sky, so to speak, to um, depict the, the horses' colours and the barrier. So, look, fortunately, it looks like we're going to get a fine day and night tomorrow, so that will be quite a spectacular sight as the barrier draw unfolds live um, on Sydney Harbour. Um, for Nature's Trip, does it, does it inside barrier put a little question mark against him. He overcame that in the shorts. Maybe the inside barriers aren't an issue anymore. I put that to Chris Waller on Saturday and he's not overly concerned by the draw because Nature's Troop has got so much speed he can get himself out of trouble in Chris's words. Eduardo, um, Joe Pride said he would love to draw outside Nature's Troop and by that I'm sure what he's intending to do is let Eduardo run and cross Nature's Troop early. So... Mm. Um, the barrier draw is super important, but I think the track conditions even more so because as the track continues to improve, horses like Lost and Running, Jackano, Mars Crusader, Marzu, their chances soar because on a heavy track, Nature Strip's probably too good. But if the track gets back into the soft range, those horses will get their chance. I'm going to throw you a curveball here. This is the sixth running of the, the Everest. Uh, would, would you consider this might be the strongest version so far? That's a good point. I should go back and have a look at the fields. Um, I think what makes this race so intriguing is you've got the old guard, which is Nature Strip and Eduardo and Mars Crusader. Lost and running sort of in between. We saw him last year. He's emerged now. We know he's a talent. And you've got this the, the, the new uh, brigade, so to speak, the younger sprinters coming through, like Mars, who, um, particularly the three-year-old, Jackano. Giga kicks the first unbeaten a horse to line up in an Everest. And you've got an old war horse like Kim and Tari as well potentially going into the field. So it's a fascinating mix of the old and the new. Again, though, um, that one horse is there. They all have to beat Nature Strip. This could potentially have been his fifth Everest, don't forget, David, because he was also in the field in 2018. He'd been selected and then ran poorly in the lead-up and was taken out of the Everest. So... Remarkable horse that he's been around for so long. Here he is as an eight-year-old now, probably at the top of his game. And as you mentioned earlier, he's a dollar ninety for the Everest. That's extraordinary. 
They just keep uh, piling around. Of course, it'll be the day is the Tab Everest Day. You reported this morning in the Telegraph that Tab have extended their association with, with the ATC, I think, for another three years. Yes, and uh, of course they got the naming rights for the race, but also now the naming rights for the day. And I think to be associated with this race day, particularly this weekend, um, it's not bad for a, a sponsor like Tab because with the decision to reschedule the Angst Stakes and the Silver Eagle to this um, Tab Everest Day program, gee, we've got 10 fascinating feature races on an absolutely bumper weekend. I think it's about almost $23 million in total prize money um, up for grabs next Saturday, which is, I think, the richest, certainly in the Southern Hemisphere, um, the, Everest, the bulk of with $15 million, but five races worth at least $1 million or more. It's, it's a fantastic card. Well, Racing New South Wales and the, the ATC were applauded in beginning this race called the Tap Craig to honour John Tap and, and Ian Craig. But is that what you do with it that I think is important? You had a, a wonderful centre-page spread in, in Friday's Telegraph about uh, John and Ian. I thought what they did on Saturday was wonderful. And I give Darren Flindell the, the credit for this, that he brought John and Ian to the broadcast box at Royal Randwick. Um, and this is one of the, the pluses of social media. It was on Twitter there. You could see John and, and Ian in the box, looking resplendent, looking great for both being, of course, 80 years of age. But they both did a phantom call. But just to see them there, and you could see Darren was chuffed as well. I, I thought it was a wonderful piece to, to add to the, 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 the naming of the race. It was a great promotion. Yeah, universal applause for everyone involved with the decision to come up with the tap, Craig, because there are, you wouldn't find two more respected men in racing, could you, David, than John Tappany and Craig. And I've seen a bit of John in recent years. Not a lot of Ian. We did a couple of specials on um, Sky about when Winx is due to retire, but haven't seen much of him since. But it was great to see both men out there on Saturday looking fit and healthy. They're both 80 years old. Gee, if I could age that well, David, I'd be very happy. They're still on the top of their game. And I think they got a real kick out of the acknowledgement that they re thoroughly deserved last Saturday with the running of the Tap Craig and of course in a couple of weeks we've got the Calendar Presnell named after Ken Calendar and Max Presnell two absolute legends of, of Australian journalism so um, we're always quick to, to bag administrators and they get it wrong but they deserve the kudos when they get it right and I think with both these races um, they were great calls and the Tap Craig was highly successful I'm sure the Calendar Presnell will be as well. And, and wonderful to see these races named while these gentlemen, that's what they are, and, and mm. legends in, the, in their own, uh, in, in their own uh, fields uh, when, they were, when they were working. Great to see them there and, and alive yeah. rather than thinking about someone when they've gone. Good on you, Ray. You have, you'll have a busy week and we'll talk next Monday. Thanks so much, David. Ray Thomas joining us this morning. Well, of course, last time we had the Thoroughbred Queensland Awards uh, at City Hall. Bart Sinclair joins me on the program now. Bart, good morning. Yeah, good morning, David. Good morning, all. I was just mentioning there to Ray Thomas that uh, having John Tappany and Craig at the races on Saturday as part of the day, with of course the race named after them, the Tap Craig, it's great. To, it was great to see them there. And last night, uh, some Hall of Fame inductees we know so well who are very popular in the industry, and of course I'm speaking of Tony Earhart and Pat Duff. Yeah, there was a great vibe in the room, and particularly when they were announced as inductees into the Hall of Fame and. How well deserved uh, both of those gentlemen to, to be in that position. Uh, our Pat Duff still training winners, Tony Earhart and Lorraine, 
do uh, a wonderful job with their horses and Lorraine also is um, uh, very active in, in keeping the racing um, older generation together with their, their functions with the uh, stilettos and saddles team. So uh, it, it was, um, you could feel the warmth in the room when they were announced. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, Pat Duff's always had a good horse in the stable, hasn't he? Yeah, look, I, I think Handsome Prince was very underrated. Um, you know, he was, he was a, a summer star a couple of seasons there, and he, he's been a, a great horseman over such a long period. You know, he, he's, um, by his own admission, in his 80s now and and, and still loving training. He's, he's been a, a great mentor to so many young people. Mike Pelling uh, by video and Jim Byrne in person spoke uh, glowingly about what Pat did for their careers and uh, Tony Earhart um, you know, similarly uh, the length of service they've given to the racing industry is just wonderful Exactly right and one more thing with Pat of course not only uh, a great trainer always had a good horse, a lot of good horses but he's been a, a great uh, mentor to apprentices, not only male apprentices but also female apprentices Yeah look he, he spoke uh, very glowingly about his association with so many uh, female riders and uh, he paid tribute to Pam O'Neill as we all do she was the, the pioneer for, for the uh, girls to get a licence to, to compete in, in an open field and um, you know, he, he, he's backed it up by putting so many uh, female riders on his horses and uh, he, he's very proud of that fact and so he should be we inducted two horses to the Hall of Fame, Starcraft and Highland. We, we know a bit about Starcraft. We don't know a lot about Highland. Highland uh, won a, a number of Group 1 races uh, back in the 1920s, so uh, even before my time. <laughs> um, just. But you, yeah, just. Um, but you just look at his record and conceive. So it, it's very difficult to compare horses of different eras, but uh, the record shows that he, he was a, a top-line uh, racehorse. It's typical talk about Dawn Fraser's times weren't great in the swimming pool, and um, the modern swimmers would uh, run, swim very uh, number of seconds faster. But you put Dawn Fraser in a pool, and she'd compete with anyone. So it's just that there's different training, um, feeding, all, all things have changed. Different racetracks, um, but you can only look at the record and Highland's uh, performances on the track speak for themselves. And Starcraft. Really, he was a wonderful performer and uh, on the world stage as well. So he, he deserves to be there. Never easy with the associates, but uh, the, the two associates have similar profiles in a way. They were both chairman of the, the Metropolitan Clubs, uh, Dr Clive Ewer, Sir Clive Ewer, and also uh, Sir Edward Williams with the QDC. But not only were they highly respected within Racing Bar, but they were very well respected in the wider community for what they did. No doubt both of them gave great service to the community. Um, Sir Edward or Ned, as we, we knew him, um, Commonwealth Games, Expo, um, a, a National um, Royal Commission into Drugs. He, he, he was a, a great doer. He, he just got things done. And, and very similar, uh, Clive Ewer was a, uh, unfortunately a, a prisoner in Changi uh, Prison and he was a leader and he, the people that he, he spent time with in, in Changi uh, became his friends for life and, and they turned to him for advice and um, he, he was a great racing administrator but also he, he was the uh, driver of the Bo Desert Boys Town idea 
um, Xavier Society to help the uh, the Catholic Church raise funds. And he was a, a very prominent in medical circles. He's a radiologist. And um, Ned Williams in, in uh, his legal career was brilliant, but what he put back into the community through racing and uh, his ex- exploits with um, Expo and and Commonwealth Games, I think, is the really big one for Ned because mm. it showed Queenslanders we could compete on the world stage. And I think up until then we had a bit of a, if you'd like to call it, inferiority complex that we are. Uh, and I doubt it. I, I seriously doubt that the Commonwealth Games would be a success. They were a raging success, and and Queensland progressed from there. So, and a lot of that goes back to uh, to Ned Williams. He is a doer. He just he was a positive person. Uh, thanks for your time this morning. Appreciate your comments. You don't need a... Ben, uh, ben Dorries is coming up right now. That was Bart Sinclair, though. Ben Dorries was at the awards night last night. I hope he was. Good morning, mate. How are you? Yeah, good morning, David. They were all very, very worthy highlights that um, uh, Bart discussed there. But I've got one of my own. Mm. And uh, it involves you, old mate. Have you, you, You've got mail as to what happened there last night? No, mate. What happened? Well, you might think I'm making this up. You might think I'm pulling your leg. But I swear to you, I'm not. It did set put the house down. I'm not sure who she was. But while an award was being presented, a lady leapt on stage, grabbed the microphone and proceeded to tell the 400 people there that she fell in love with racing because of David Fowler and she'd fallen in love with David Fowler 40 years ago and she is still in love with you to this day. Who is Well, she? I've got no idea, but I'm tipping you, may know. Is there anything you can tell me, no, old mate? No, I can't. And no one has rung me to tell me this. No. Well, I, Stop I, I surprising me in, the, in, this, in this bizarre fashion. Well, I swear, I'm trying to get You're you to fall off drunk, your chair. You? No, I'm not. Um, I'm surprised Bart, actually, your old mate, didn't bring it up. But this is 100%. You can ask anyone who was there. She proceeded to tell the audience what an awesome person you are and how she's madly been in love with you and had this serious crush on you for 40 years. So there you go. You often give me homework on this show. <laughs> I'm giving you some homework. You've got to go and find out who this lovely lady is. A very sensible woman too, it sounds like. <laughs> now, listen, now, now, now talking about getting things, I got this wrong. I got this wrong. Uh, Apache Chase was the horse of the year. I didn't vote for him. Did you? You could reveal uh, no, it No, I didn't, actually. I voted for Gypsy Goddess. I voted for Star um, well, there you go. Um, but you know what? I said to you, I reckon, on this show a couple of times, there was no sort of wrong winner. There was no bad decision. Sure. They were all very worthy. I thought they all won group ones. I guess I voted. I gave Gypsy Goddess a slight nod just because, yes, I know she won a group one against her own age group and against her own sex. Um, but to, you know, sort of do it in the style she did and also have such success, uh, in big races in Sydney, all in the space of one racing preparation, I thought was a fabulous effort. Having said that, um, you know, definitely Forster, yeah, you know, no doubt a deserved winner with Apache Chase, taking on all comers there. Uh, you, you know, the emotion there was, you know, was, was for everyone to see on, on the day. She was actually pretty restrained last night, Desley. I expected maybe a couple of tears or, or something, but um, no, she took it all very much in a stride. So that was a real breakout uh, season for her. And of course, Gypsy Goddess did win uh, the three-year-old of the year and David Van Dyke, um, you know, w- w- was there. Um, just a bit of news, actually, um, to come out of the nights surrounding those two horses we just mentioned. David Van Dyke revealed that Gypsy Goddess, who, um, you know, has always been intended to sort of have a one-hit, um, 
you know, spring run in the Golden Eagle. He said, look, there is a plan B. Uh, if it's wet, which I mean, it's just been raining cats and dogs in Sydney for as long as we can remember. He said, if it's wet, we will actually divert to Melbourne with Gypsy Goddess and go to the Group 1 Empire Rose. Okay. So um, that's very interesting. And also Desley Forster as well. Um, Apache Chase, the horse, Queensland Horse of the Year, um, you know, is expected to run in the Sydney Stakes, which is sort of the, the Everest Constellation in Sydney on Saturday. But she said, look, if it's significantly wet there, um, you know, they might have a change of plans there too and go to the Group 1 Manicato Stakes uh, a week later where, of course, you know, she would take on Rothfire, fellow Queenslander, as one of the favourites. So, look, I've had a look at the forecast this morning. The forecast in Sydney is actually pretty good this week. Um, so, look, just be interesting to see what unfolds. But, look... You know, potentially the weather dependent. You know, some pretty big changes to plans for those two horses. Now that uh, woman, I think, was Sir Clive Ewer's granddaughter. Yeah, <laughs> that may be correct. I do my homework very quickly, don't I? Anything you can tell us? No, but 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 <laughs> a, but a, a, a very very um, uh, good judge. Oh well, outstanding judge. <laughs> very well, rich, very you. rich woman too. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, right up my alley. Uh, I must say she spoke with great passion about your contribution to racing and you in general, David. So uh, I look forward to finding out more about this story. What about uh, at the top of the show, I, I mentioned two of your colleagues. Uh, well, I don't think they intended... Well, I know Richard Keller probably didn't get in, didn't intend to get involved in any sort of spat, but uh, Gilbert Gardner, the Herald Sunrider, came back strongly. The point I tried to make this morning was... You can compare the Everest, the Melbourne Cup, you can compare this and that. In the end, it doesn't really achieve a lot. But what the point I was trying to make and trying to find some middle ground that we have a lot of great races and they're diverse races, but we've got a great industry in Australia. Yeah, we do. And, and you know what? Again, David, I must agree with you. I sort of think at this from, you know, look at this from the, the punter's lens. I mean, so we've got the Everest and the Caulfield Cup on Saturday, right? Mm. Does any punter in Australia wake up and think, oh, gee, I wish these two races went on the same day. Oh, I wish the Caulfield Cup was a week later. Of course they don't. I mean, we're, we're spoiled for choice. Uh, there's so many good races. Of course, there's going to be clashes. There's going to be, you know, a, a less than ideal at times, tit for tat between the states. But at the end of the day, I think racing's, uh, you know, the winner, really. I mean, look, there are some interesting ones. The, the Everest stands alone. It's, it's sensational. I mean, some of these new races, I guess, you know, the five diamonds and whatever, we have to sort of find out the big dance. We have to sort of find out their gravitas and, and sort of where they sit. But, look, um, I think from a punter's point of view, I mean, they don't really care whether there's good races in Sydney, good races in Melbourne, good races clashing. They, they just want to see good races, good horses. They don't really give a stuff. Uh, yeah, the more the more good races on the same day, the better. I mean, that's, so, look, I, I sort of take the middle ground uh, there too. I do note there's some interesting stuff, though, going on, David. Yesterday's Sunday Herald Sun in Melbourne, uh, which is a News Corp paper, I obviously work for News Corp, there was a huge front-page ad, which uh, wouldn't have come cheaper, I wouldn't have thought, promoting the Everest in, in a Melbourne paper. So look, Cup <laughs> yeah, you know, in Corf, at the start of Caulfield Cup Week. I mean, you wouldn't have seen that in a million years, not so long ago. And look, I'm expecting, I don't know, but I'm expecting the Daily Telegraph in Sydney, for instance, in Melbourne Cup Week, I'm tipping there'll be a lot of uh, lot of advertising spend and from racing New South Wales devoted to the big dance rather than obviously the Melbourne Cup. So look, it, it is interesting times. I generally think, and it's not always the case, but competition and rivalry is a good thing in sport. And generally, I think it's a good thing in racing. Racing and these people who talk about the pattern, I mean, you we we sort of do have to consider the pattern to some degree. 
But I think I've said this on the show quite a few times. I think Racing Australia is a completely toothless tiger. I think the you know the traditional pattern went out the window quite a while ago. So look, I think it's a good thing for racing. I'm looking forward to seeing both the Caulfield Cup and the Everest on Saturday. Now, my colleague Steve Hewlett, uh, honestly, he has boyfriends and girlfriends everywhere in the horse department. He falls in love with them and he stays with them grimly. And sometimes, well, it doesn't turn out quite well. They end up having a, a breakup or a, a messy divorce. But I tell you what, I've got to say, Steve, on this one, you are bang on the money. This chinny boom, this filly, this spirit of boom filly, I know Trenton's written about her this morning in the Courier Mail. I did a bit of work on her yesterday, having a look. So she won those two two-year-old races in her first campaign, ran really good times for a two-year-old. But this time in, she went to Mackay first up. She ran 12.87 for the 1100. Now, the record is 12.42. But at Rocky last week, as has been well documented, she broke the 1,050 track record, 58.59. The record's 59.37, so she's broken it by almost a second, never out of second gear. And the time is right. Uh, sometimes we question the times, but I, I timed it. It's spot on. We're going to see her in Brisbane towards the end of the month. Mate, she's very, very good. Yeah, she looks exceptional, doesn't she? Well, geez, well we doesn't Queensland in, in you know, in the last few years just have a amazing record of producing a horse from absolutely nowhere, really. I mean, look at incentivise that fabulous journey. But look, she is very good. I can't wait to see her in Brisbane. But look, I'm also hearing David... Uh, that Bracer Kolsky, who, of course, we know um, yeah, for all sorts of reasons. One, I guess he bought incentivise, uh, hinged from Queensland. He has very much entered the fray in, in the sort of the bidding war, for want of a better word, to buy this horse. Now, the not-for-sale sign is certainly up at the moment. Uh, my colleague Trent Nakers wrote that today. But, look, I mean, I suppose if, if, you, if you get Bray into the fray and there's, there's a couple of others that want to buy it and the price keeps going up and up and up, and it just gets to an astronomical amount. I mean, everything, I guess, is for sale at some point, isn't it? I mean, I, I like my car, but, you know, if someone wanted to offer me $200,000 for my car, I'd take it in the heartbeat. You know, it's probably worth 40000 you know? So, look, you know, everything, there is a price, I suppose, for everything. I can certainly understand them, um, you know, wanting to hang on to this horse because, you know, she is a sensation. So, look, uh be fascinating to follow Wynette. I mean, if she comes out and brains them in Brisbane, I mean... Oh, geez, there's been a lot of offers already. They're only going to get, you know, there's only going to be more offers and bigger offers. So it'd be interesting to see if they can hold firm. But it's just terrific, isn't it, that a relatively quiet time of year for Queensland Racing, we've got oh. this girl coming through the ranks and doing some sensational things and giving us something to really hang our hat on and talk about. It's terrific, David. And the, and the thing is, we, we, often, we often see horses in central or north Queensland win by big margins. But in the case of this filly, she's running the time, she is doing it, without any effort whatsoever. Uh, there's two options there towards the end of the month. Uh, it, it's uh, either a 1,200-metre race, there's a 1,000-metre three-year-old race, which would seem ideal with cutest bonuses, but they might go that 1,200-metre path because I think they want to go to the mode in early December, but she is uh, an exciting prospect, to say the least. Do you want to be the news on the horse called Tijuana before you go? Yeah, look, Tijuana, um, look, it's still a little bit up in the air, but this this, this horse is Queensland-owned. Uh, a guy called Jared Magnabosco bought, um, you know, him at Magic Millions. Uh, he won the Stutt Stakes. He was, you know, heavily one of the, you know, fancies in the betting for the Caulfield Guineas, I think around fourth or fifth. Um, look, there's been talk about the Cox Plate, um, potentially as a three-year-old, uh, you know, could they, could they pay the late entry fee? They won't be 
paying the late entry fee. However, there may be one more Melbourne run, but then the, the, the Magic Millions very much on the agenda, potentially following an Alligator Blood type party. Remember, Alligator Blood obviously uh, won the three-year-old uh, Magic Millions guineas later disqualified, of course, and then went on to win that famous Australian guinea. So I think that'll be the path uh, for Tijuana. A lot of Queensland owners in the horse. The horse wears red, um, but was you know, effectively raised in Queensland out at Eureka, uh, was purchased in Queensland, has Queensland owners. So uh, not quite as Queensland as, uh, you know, Forex Beer or Bundaberg Rum, but I think we can just about claim him, David. Good on you, mate. Talk soon. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Ben Dorries joining us. That Caulfield Cup market, Smoke and Romans into four fifty now. Benno backing up after the Might and Power at $6. Inspirational Girl at 9 Nonconformist is another backup from the Might and Power at 10 Then Dewis Maximal at 13 Allegron at 15 Ethan Brown will ride, of course. He missed out when Snap Dancer went by the way, but... He's picked up the radio on a leg run of Modophilia and Yumerian at 15. A quick break. Chris Bars is ready to join us on the other side. If it's equine or canine, then your one-stop shop is Garrard's Horse and Hound. Check out this month's specials available in-store Australia-wide and online. Nervade Pay 60 mil is great value at just $19.95. Don't miss Eliminots 250 mil, was $26.79, now $19.95. Be quiet, 4kg pale, super hot at $122.81. Senoil 10-litre drums are back in stock by popular demand and just $167.18. Dr. Show Super Moose Braid and Shine, 375ml, $22.30. And Vitamite Fast Switch Formula, 12kg bucket, was $147.86, now at the never-to-be-repeated price of $99. But be quick, only while stocks last. This month's specials available in store online at horseandhound.com.au or free call 1800 060 896 Garrard's Horse and Hound This spring racing carnival Foxtel customers have the chance to win a share of $75,000 just for watching some of the best racing on Sky With cash on offer across every Group 1 race day tune in, spot the code word and enter the draw to become $5,000 richer Enter at skyracing.com.au forward slash Foxtel and join in the excitement this spring. Foxtel customers 18 plus only excludes SA ends November 5. T's and C's apply. See website. This is Press Room with David Fowler. If it's equine or canine, your one-stop shop is Garrard's Horse and Hound. There are 13 stores across Australia and New Zealand. Garrard's Horse and Hound stock all of the big names and they provide the very best inventory services. Now, you can buy the products online, horseandhound.com.au, or a free call number, 1-800-060-896, 1-800-060-896. Horse and Hound, they've been with us since day one. Mark writes in this morning. Good morning, Mark, and thanks for contributing. You think that the meeting should have started early at Royal Ramwick on Saturday, knowing that forecast? Peter Moreland uh, writes in... People who think the Everest will take over the Melbourne Cup are kidding themselves. The Cup is for everyone, whereas the Everest, you buy to get in. Thanks for your contribution, Peter, and everyone else who's writing in this morning. Chris Barsby joins me now. Chris, good morning. How are you? I'm well, David. Good morning to you. Good morning, everyone. I mentioned at the top of the show it was an outstanding night of racing at Melton on Saturday night. We had the Victoria Cup, the Derby, the Oaks, other feature races, but a great result for Queensland. Leap for fame and... This is a great uh, achievement to win every derby on the Eastern Seaboard. 
Yeah, it's it's rare air, David, that's for sure and certain. And this guy is a genuine star, and I'm not just saying that because he's come out and won the three derbies on the east coast of Australia, but this guy has got it all. He's got a great pedigree. He's by the boom side, better's delight. He's got great looks, and he's got great power, which is coupled with absolutely awesome speed. And that was on full display there on uh, Saturday night at Melton. In the previous week, uh, the knockers were quickly out when he was beaten behind this boom horse and captain ravishing. He was beaten for speed there, but it was a typical Grant Dixon performance there in the heat. He wanted to find out as much as he could about captain ravishing. He achieved that. He knew how to beat him going into the derby final there on Saturday night. He made a disdain contest. They ambled around in the heat the previous week in the derby there on Saturday night. It was a true war. Really fast time, 154.4 for the mile rate for 2,760 metres, the last mile in 153.8, and he had the shades back on. He put the Dolly Varden blinkers back on. The all-important gear chain, which had him focused and ready to fire, and that he did there. So this guy is a genuine star. The last horse to win all three derbies on the east coast of Australia, we have to go back to 2009, Captain Joy. And when you talk about Captain Joy, when you just look at his three-year-old career, he had 13 starts during that three-year-old season. He won 12. The only time he got beaten was the final race of that season, the Breeders' Crown. He won the three major derbies on the east coast of Australia. Guess what? He also won the Breeders' Challenge, which is the next major target now for Leap to Fame. Mm. He'll start again in a fortnight's time back in Sydney at Menangle. And then you start looking at other horses and what they've been able to achieve. Uh, Westburn Grant, he was able to win the New South Wales and Victoria Derby. He won the New Zealand Derby. That was back in 1989. Courage Under Fire won every derby known to man back in uh, 1999. And the last Australian horse to win a New Zealand Derby was Sushi Sushi uh, when he was able to take out the Great Northern Derby in Auckland back in 2011. I mentioned that because the New Zealand Derby is still yet to be run. That will take place in the first week of December. So there's an option there if connections want to push the, the friendship a little further, but I don't think they will, given that they've got so much to look forward to next year. They've got the, the Rising Sun, a race that he tackled this year. They've got the new race, the Eureka. Uh, Kevin and Kay Seymour, who race lead to fame, they were announced as one of the slot holders earlier in the week. So there's a lot to look forward to as a four-year-old. Chariots of Fire, obviously. But it's just a, a phenomenal record that he's building, and he's a genuine superstar of the sport. Mm, yeah, the, the world is his oyster. Kevin and Kay Seymour, they've bred and raced Haces for over 40 years. And I, I saw a quote there from Kevin to say, this might be the champion we've been waiting for. He said that a few times in the past, but on this occasion, this may well be the best one they have had. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's no shock that he would make that statement as well. Uh, look, he's raced some good ones. Colt 31 won the Victoria Derby back in 2018. And they've had some other nice horses. Majestic Max springs to mind. They raced uh, Mr. Feelgood after they purchased him from North America. They bought Leap to Fame from the Sydney sales, the APG sales, a few years ago. I think he was just under $50,000. But like I said, he's by this boom sire. And this is credit to Grant Dixon as well. Not only is he a fantastic horseman, but he's a fantastic judge of talent. He went to the Sydney sales that year. He bought two horses. Leap to Fame was one. The other one was Tim's a trooper. They're both Group 1 winners already, and they're only three-year-olds. So he's a great judge of talent, no question about it. And he showed his uh, true talent there on Saturday night. It was perfectly, um, perfectly poised the way he was able to just go down there, 
get beaten, take a little bit of the gloss off him in the heat, but then just deliver in spades in the, in the final there on Saturday night. So wonderful horseman. And, you know, to your point with Kevin and Kay Seymour, this just might be the champion that they've been looking for for a long, long time. Tell us about this horse that Michael Stanley trains and drives, Rock and Roll Do. It's a four-year-old that won the Victoria Cup. It was right in the market. Yeah, this is a horse that's made uh, giant inroads this year. There's always been a really good rap on this guy, but his manners uh, and his ring craft have let him down on a few uh, a few occasions. He's been able to produce some outstanding performances. Uh, he forced his way into the Chariots of Fire this year, and it was just pure power that got him into that Chariots of Fire. But unfortunately, his manners let him down on the uh, on the big stage there in the final. But this year, Mick Stanley's basically gone back to basics with uh, rock and roll. Dude, he's got a, a great pedigree. And uh, he's now starting to mature and, and develop into this giant frame that he possesses. So they're looking at the New Zealand Cup. In fact, he's due to fly out of Australia later this week. He'll go back with the defending New Zealand Cup champion, copy that, who was amongst the vanquished there on Saturday night, finishing fourth. A little bit unlucky, but these two horses are due to fly back on Thursday and they're going to be set for the New Zealand Cup. And if you talk to the right people, they feel rock and roll dude's got the right type of profile to take a New Zealand Cup. We've sent some wonderful horses to New Zealand in years gone by, smoking up, Carlo Mick, the list goes on and on. Probably better horses than rock and roll do when you break down their records, but this guy is on the up. He can stay all day. He proved that. Not many uh, horses sit parked to win a Victoria Cup and beat a good quality field like he did on Saturday night. So uh, they're going to go to New Zealand, try and do the, uh, the unthinkable, win their biggest race on their calendar in their own backyard, but uh, they're chock full of confidence right now, and uh, this guy is going really well. Strangely, David, his younger half-brother is based here in Queensland and looks super exciting. Tim Butt's got Barilla. He's had two starts. He's a last-start winner. He's the half-brother to rock and roll do. He might just have a really good horse on his hands himself, Tim Butt. So exciting for Queensland as well moving forward. Good on you, Chris. Thanks for your comments this morning. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Chris Barsby joining us. Yes, uh, the Eureka slots were announced last week. Good to see Racing Queensland stepping up to the plate. They've taken a slot in the Eureka. They've also taken a slot in the Greyhound slot race, the Phoenix, which will be held in December this year. So they're certainly supporting the, the concept. Ben Scannon's in Adelaide. He's with us now on Press Room. Good morning, Ben. Hello, David. How are you? I'm well. Very husky voice there this morning. <coughs> Sorry about that. No, no, that no, was, was quite attractive, actually. I was <laughs> Tell me, uh, now, the, the Port Lincoln situation, you followed up on what we were talking about last week. What's the latest? Yeah, well, it's kind of like, to show you the truth, it's um, Tom Biddington, uh, an ex-colleague of mine, he's done a fair bit of research on it, and I did touch base with Biddo to see where he thought things were at. And, um, look, the, um, the end story is that I think there's a very good chance that the club will be back racing again um, early next month. So um, it sounds like everybody's pretty much in the, I'm not too sure about Gavin McCann, but pretty much everybody else is in the same in the same boat. They want to get the club back organised again. They need a new, they want a new board um, and they want to race again. And I think as soon as that happens, which will be relatively soon, um, looks like there's, um, there's going to be a new committee appointed, a special general meeting on October 14. It does seem that's very likely to be the case now. So... There are a few little um, hoops to jump through still. So there's a um, there's a, another Supreme Court hearing today, Monday, um, and as long as the outcome of that is as expected, then this um, this special general meeting to re to elect a new committee should go ahead. 
on Friday. Um, and then once that's done, then everything will be back to normal. Racing SA will um, recommence their their financial commitment and their programming commitment to the club. So um, very likely there will be a, a meeting held on Wednesday, November 2. Um, there is the issue at the moment with the uh, the grass. There's a, um, a disease with the, the turf at the track, um, but that's apparently getting on top of that. So, um, yeah, what seemed like a... A disastrous situation a week ago is maybe slightly less disastrous. Certainly not something that you'd want. Um, would have been much, much more preferable if this never happened. Going to, um, you know, taking things like this to the Supreme Court, there's, there end up being no winners other than obviously the lawyers who are getting paid their very significant fees to uh, represent each each uh, each side of the case. But, um, yeah, it seems like things are, are gradually heading back in the right direction there. It's good to hear some light at the end of the tunnel because it's so important. I mean, uh, the season, you know, supposed to started. You've got licensees, uh, you know, who rely on racing at Port Lincoln. And, oh, it's critical. And, and, yeah. and, and missing out, which is, which is not fair. Look, let's go to the racetrack on Saturday. This fairly more reward broke her maiden status at listed level in the Hill Smith. And where's she headed now? Yeah, she's um, yeah, she's an interesting one, more reward. So she's been well on the market a few times in, in some of her runs and hasn't quite got the job done. She's caught the eye but hasn't got a, got the job done but stepped that way and had her metres in this Hillsmith Stakes on Saturday and demolished them one by five lengths. And now uh, they've certainly raised the bar significantly with her. BRC Oaks is the most likely even her next run. She's unlikely to race again until the BRC Oaks. So, um, yeah, that's uh, from the... Um, from the listed Hillsmith Stakes against, uh, you know, a moderate group, I think it's fair to say, to the VRC Oaks is a, is a very, very large jump. But um, as Dan Clarkin said, you know, she's there, she's ready, she's eligible. Why not let's have a crack at it? So she um, she certainly raced like a filly who can who can stay. She ran away from them, didn't she? Um, she's not bred necessarily to be a, a you know, mile-and-a-half kind of horse, but she... Uh, she could have done more than she did on Saturday and she was running away from them on the line, so it was a, it was a really good effort. Struck by is an above-average galloper that uh, Travis Dowdle trains. He won first up there and I'm thinking or I'm hearing that he's also headed to Melbourne. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, Travis had the favourite in that race, the Hillsmith Stakes match in Boston. That horse didn't race as well as he wanted, but it wasn't wasn't all doom and gloom for him. He ended up training and I think Struck by is the... Uh, is one with a fair bit of promise there. He's been a been a good bold front running type of horse, and he's got an advantage in his in his colour. He's grey, so, so that means he can go to the uh, that greys race at Flemington on on Cup Day. So that's uh, they pencil that one in for him. And look, he's a he's a really good honest horse. And that was a that was a nice field that that field. Um, Spark ups a, a very nice horse. Extreme Thrill has been a very consistent performer. And Manhattan Times, obviously the Liam McDonald Andrew Glover's horse got a pretty significant reputation perhaps not racing quite as as well as we would have hoped this preparation yet i think there's still hope for him i wouldn't give up on manhattan times but yeah well it certainly wasn't a, it wasn't a soft field that uh, struck by beat and i thought he did it really strongly good to see dom today back riding too yeah that's right well dom's had a really tough time he uh, had that that those back issues ongoing back issues for a long time ended up having surgery so he was back after after a four-month hiatus um just had the one ride on saturday on on uh, Larkham for uh, for Ryan Balfour and then had had some rides at Panola, but yeah, really good to see Don back. He's been you kind of forget about jockeys when they've been away off the scene for a little while, but he's been one of our very best um, senior jockeys for a long time, Dom. So yeah, he's a he's certainly a welcome addition back to the riding ranks here.
What's the update on Behemoth? I see it trialled at Morfordville on the Parks track on Friday and won its trial. Yeah, look, and I thought the trial was good. I mean, I think David Jolly is certainly a trainer. He's very much a day-to-day -day kind of trainer. He, you know, he would certainly, in the back of his mind, have some, some longer-term goals for the horse. But, um, yeah, I think they would see how he pulled up from that trial on Friday. I thought it looked really good on Friday. He looked the strongest he's looked in a long time. And it was a, it was a nice trial. Bo Rosso finished second. I am Benet, another, you know, very good quality mare for Andrew Clark. And she was third. So it was a, it was a pretty hot trial. Um, Behemoth had the best of them. Again, he looked very strong on the line, I thought. Um, Bo Rosso wasn't knocked around, so hard to, to know exactly where he's at at the moment. But, yeah, I thought it was a, certainly a, a positive step for Behemoth off the back of that pretty moderate first up run, a better second up run. Uh, but I, th I thought the trial looked OK. So, um, you know, you would think he'd be back to Melbourne and maybe something just down the um, down the ladder a little bit from those, um, you know, from those Group 1 kind of races he'd been aiming at last time. Good on you, mate. We'll talk soon. Thanks very much, David. Maybe they're along the coppers are after him in the, in the, in the background. Hey, um, also, too, don't forget, this Friday is Murray Bridge Cup Day. Big day. And um, the club, I'm sure, will be rewarded with a great crowd and a great race as well. Colin McNiff's joining us now. Colin, good morning. Morning, David. You can't keep good men down. Brendan McCool, back back on last Wednesday, bang, bang, bang. Exactly, yeah. After five months off with a knee injury, he had surgery. Uh, it took a little longer than anticipated to recover, but he came back and, as you say, bang, bang, bang. He only had the three rides. He did set himself to return at the first night uh, racing season, and they were just three perfect rides. He just reminded us why he is a Hall of Fame jockey, why he has won the Tasmanian Premiership, 14 times he put each and every runner into the perfect position and to be perfectly honest for a, a guy who's been out of the saddle for five months he needed all his vigor to get a couple of them home but he didn't uh, let punters down they were all well in the market and uh, yeah a brilliant riding display and great to have him back in our ranks just on the harness front, uh, we raced at Birdie recently? We did last Friday night. Uh, they have eight meetings throughout the uh, the summer season, if you like. Uh, that was the first of their eight meetings for the season. But as you know, Devonport has been closed down for some time now. So that's the first meeting up on the northwest coast that uh, we've had. There was a good crowd that got along. It's a very popular venue and great to see a little bit of harness racing back on the northwest coast of Tassie. Is that the one that's on the water? It is, yeah. That beautiful look uh, background out into Bass Strait. It's only a, a horseshoe. It's only a, a 600-metre circuit, but uh, it's very popular. And, uh, yeah, that beautiful uh, outlook from uh, from looking across the grandstand, across the track, out into a Bass Strait. Standing starts or mobiles, they're called? Yeah, standing both. Yeah, they, they, they have the mobiles. So a, a lot of standing starts, but they do have some mobile races as well. Brings back the memories of the old days, mm. the 600-metre track like the, like yeah. the showgrounds. Indeed. Uh, and uh, Taz Racing, they've taken a slot of the Eureka. Yeah, look, this is a bold move, I think, from Taz Racing. Uh, $300,000 they've put up for the first three years, this Eureka, this new harness race, to be staged uh, next year. You had to buy a slot for $100,000 a year and put up 300000 for the first three years. So Taz Racing has gone ahead and done that. The stipulation is the horse that they enter or that takes the Taz Racing slot must be a Taz bred horse. So be uh, widely... Uh, anticipated as to who gets to a start depending I suppose on on what's happening at this time next year or in September I think it is run next year so uh, to see which horses are in form and uh, which are Taz bred to to go for a large chunk of prize money
That will be at Menangle. Good on you, Cole. Thanks for that. Thanks, David. Colin McNiff joining us this morning. That is press room. Rido writes and he was impressed by Miss Cooter's win at Eagle Farm on Saturday. And you're a good judge, Rido. She looked very good. Uh, a real uh, running type. Didn't begin all that well, but then she had that great speed and well, she won in the hand counter. She's magic minions bound. Folks, thanks for your company this morning. Hope you enjoyed the show. Always appreciate your thoughts and there's been plenty of thoughts come through this morning. Have a good day. We'll see you next week.